Yo, what is up? You have found We Like the Blazers. I am Brandon Golder. And with me as always, it is the one, the only, the on my screen cartoonified Ryan Whitledge. Ryan, what's up, man? Hey, somebody spent a lot of money on that cartoon, and it's the best picture of me that I have in existence right now. So I'm going to rock it and get every use out of it that I possibly can. We are, of course, talking about Ryan's avatar on Twitter also being used on his avatar for Google Meets. Yeah, it was someone on Blazers Twitter whose partner did these, um, you know, photo illustrations. He sent them a photo and they would do like uh, like they would block it out and do like a solid color illustration. They do look good. They do look good. I have to say the only critique I have of yours is you you really got to zoom in a little bit because you can see that horizontal line cutting off the bottom. You need to zoom in so the circle is just encompasses all of you. But leaving that aside, we are not here to talk about avatars. We are here to talk about the 9-3 and three Portland Trailblazers. I'm just going to cut the crap. Ryan, how are you feeling about this team right now? Uh, I, it's sad that he left Twitter, but I was trying to call somebody out. I think I think it was Terry, uh, diehard, uh, because he kept saying that I was the most irrationally patient Blazer fan for not jumping on the why haven't they done more bandwagon before the season started. Uh, so I tried to hop on and ask him uh, if my patience was still irrational at this point for <laughs> seeing how Cronin was doing with his roster building. You mean Diamond? Uh, Yeah, you said that last episode too. I didn't call you on it. Um, He is still on Twitter, my friend. He is at playest underscore 4247. That's KJ. He's an often uh, participant of the post-game Twitter spaces set up by Sheriff of PDX and frequented by me and by Miller. Go find find his last tweet. He bailed on the 27th. Did he really? He did. Due to new ownership. It's weird. He's that's bizarre. Okay, um, I, I did not know I that. Do. Uh, on this because I do have a question on this so because there is so much like I'm not going to leave Twitter it's fine I I don't necessarily have negative experiences but then again I have my crap very curated but if and when like Twitter were to just disappear from the internet landscape where would you go for your basketball stuff what would you do during games because that's that's the weird thing I was thinking about like if just everything or like if you lost access to like all your features or whatnot, like you couldn't send messages or if it became a solely subscription based service, I was like, I'm not going to pay $8 a month for that. That's stupid. But I have met and become friends and communicate with so many different people on Twitter and in Twitter messages that I'm like, I couldn't contact half the people that I know to talk basketball to. I agree. The only reason why this podcast exists is because of Twitter. Um, the yep. only reason why my previous podcast existed was because of Twitter. The only reason I got involved with Blazers Edge in the first place was because of Twitter. Like my Blazers experience as an adult has been through Twitter. And yeah, like actually before we get to the Blazers, let's talk about this. We have Twitter being bought by Elon Musk which, by the way, sounds like a 17th century perfume of some sort's probably been rancid for 100 years. And <laughs> this dude comes in, you know, fake genius, like a lot of people admire him, whatever, like has taken companies that have existed in the past and has taken credit for their success. Maybe he's done a thing or two strategically fine. Like, I think probably one of the most overrated people in American society, we're going to leave that aside, comes in. 
uh, waters down the Twitter verified account process. Now you have people with blue check marks impersonating Woj and Sham Sharania and people like George W. Bush and uh, like pharmaceutical companies saying that insulin is now free. So you have this because yeah, people have their stock by billions today. Right. Like it has real world implications. You have advertisers running away from Twitter as fast as they can. Um, it, it's it's actually incredible that someone could come in and because of just a little bit of ego, a little bit of hubris and a lot of power can have this much of a negative impact on this platform so quickly. It does surprise me. I'm a little disgusted by it. To answer your question, Ryan, I don't know where I'd go. I don't know what I'd do. I love Blazers Twitter. Like that's where I eat. That's, that's my spot. That's my home. Like, especially like moving across the world. I feel like I can take a piece of myself with me by still interacting with people during game days. Like, I don't know, man, maybe you and I should create our own social network uh, or maybe someone else should get out of it. Yeah. It's a uh, dark days right now on Twitter. Yeah, just point us towards the banks that loan him all the money so that when he heavily leveraged Tesla, they can give us something. We can come up with an idea. No, I, I just find it fascinating just watching it. I, I Real quick, I had read this article, and it was, uh, hey, someone forwarded this to Elon Musk because it's the speed run of how to make it through uh, content moderation for social media companies. And he went through like the history of like every every barrier that social media companies have come up against that landed at everybody at about what they're at today and it was up there for a day and a half and through all the mistakes and changes that he had made he was like wow i've never seen somebody hit all these steps so quickly and all the fuck-ups i do think it's it's a what you just said i think is interesting that there are things about the way companies work and as a public servant, the way governments work, which are clunky, which are kind of annoying, which we're you know pissed off about. And some of those things absolutely need to change. Some of those things, as you just said, have been shaped and molded and informed by years of trial and error, by years and years of user testing and, you know, um, I don't know, like uh, case... Uh, case use examples of this doesn't work. So we're going to do this. And then that kind of mess up. So we're going to adapt this way. And then some dude just comes in like, I bet I could do it better. It's like, no, you can't like, yeah, I mean, yes, Twitter could be improved, but I, I love your point is like, yeah, like the reason why we have uh, moderation and the reason why we have checks and balances on this stuff is for exactly what happened over like a three day period. Anyway, all of that my, being said, my yeah. other quick favorite part is that for as much complaining as people want to do on either side of what the, you know, the, the argument for content moderation, free either speech, side whatever. Of the aisle. Yes. Either side of the, uh, the internet debate and discourse is that everybody, it's funny to me. I never realized that people were thinking of these things, these social media companies, these platforms and all that in terms of just the country in which they live and not the fact that these are worldwide mm. services. And so they help these places have to find the happy medium that appeases all countries. No, it's true. I mean, it's, yeah. And obviously this is a huge conversation for, for a different day, but yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I just, my last kind of word on this Elon Musk Twitter stuff is like, I just don't have a lot of patience for people who have a highly inflated sense of self. And that's clearly what that, that dude is. That's fine. Right. Like he's got a lot of money, got a lot of power. That's fine. He'll do what he wants with it. Well, uh, this but sucks, that being, now, now we can't be friends anymore. We can still be friends. I, you know, I, 
I think that the way this probably ends Twitter wise is that probably going to file for bankruptcy. I mean, the dude, the dude, first of all, did, why am I still talking about this? <laughs> I think someone else is going to own Twitter at some point, hopefully not just in the future. Anyway, let us now talk about the Blazers. There's a lot to talk about. As I said, I mean, I just wanted to kind of open it up and you began answering it. And I, I took us off on a Twitter tangent because we we're talking about how Dimad is no longer on Twitter, which again, that shocked me. Like I didn't realize that like KJ, please come back. Um, but yeah. How do you feel about this team? You know, you got the comment that maybe you're being like overly optimistic or what was the phrasing that you used? Uh, it was irrationally patient, irrationally patient. Um, so yeah, I mean, how do you feel about this team? Like what's your, what's your top level? Like if you, someone who didn't really know basketball or maybe was a fan a long time ago, Hey, how are the Blazers doing? How do you feel about them? What would your response be? This may be like the best. I don't want to say collection of talent because it's like, if you look at a lot of these names on paper, it's, you're kind of like, okay, I can get it. I can get it. And that's what we did all off season. We're like, well, we'll see how it meshes. Well, it's meshing great. And like, I'm not going to lie. Like my, my level of excitement is the same level of excitement that I had watching the, uh, the 2000 squad. And it's, I, there's just something there like this. This is the kind of like chemistry camaraderie, the we're, we're going to play for all the other guys, unselfish kind of style, basketball, grit and grind stuff that I kind of thought that the guys last year would have when I was t- taking all that time to like preach, like, Oh, look at this roster balance that they have. Look at this. You know, I know they had, you know, yeah. three, three guards starting, but I mean, you could technically argue that's a case for what they're still doing right now. But, you know, look at the difference between this year and last year. I'm, I'm just amazed that I, I didn't doubt that the plan would work, but I didn't necessarily think that it would come together as quickly as it has so far. Yeah. I, um, I think that's totally fair. Uh, yeah, I I mean, just to answer my own question, I, I kind of am with you. Like, it's hard for me to remember the last time I felt this excited and optimistic about the Blazers. I think for me, it wouldn't be as far back as you went, but for me, it would probably be the, you know, the Batum, Wes Matthews, LaMarcus Aldridge, Damian Lillard, Robin Lopez, um, before Matthews got hurt, that 2015 team, which mm-hmm. had a larger sample size than this year's team and was a legitimate, a legitimate NBA contender. I mean, you also had that they had been playing together for a couple of years. There's some familiarity there. Like um, the, the style of basketball being played in 2015 is different than, than what's being played today. Um, that was probably the last time I felt this optimistic, but there's like an extra something else that I feel that it, it does, it feels, it, I mean, I hate to get too optimistic or to get too um, hopeful, but it feels special. Like, I don't know how else to describe it. Like, that's how I feel about it. Yeah, no. And I, I think that's, that's probably the most apt word to use because it just, there, there is something special about this team. You know, they're, you look at their point differential. I mean, it's, they're, they're not all that great. I want to say like they have the seventh or eighth, you know, best point differential or whatnot in the league right now, but we're seeing it in these, you know, they're digging themselves in holes, sloppy turnovers, you know, excluding last night's game, um, you know, and, but there's zero quit. They, it's like, they don't care about the scoreboard until the last, you know, until the final minute. And they're just imposing their will on, on people. I mean, like 
I'm just trying to think of like what my mentality would have been like two years ago if you would have told me, oh, hey, you know, Dame's out, you know, uh, Sharp's out, you know, commemorative or com- uh, comparative. There we go. Comparative players, you know, no starting point no all-star starting point guard, uh, no starting center. Uh, you just lost your six man and you're going in against a fully healthy, you know, uh, legit Western conference playoff team. Uh, how are you feeling about it? I'm like, Oh, uh, we're getting our ass kicked by 20. And then you watch them just destroy the Pelicans last night. Yeah. And like, the, like that you mentioned their their net rating um and earlier in the season it wasn't it wasn't so hot compared to the record um and to your point it, yeah they are um oh i just had it up too um they're eighth in the league right now their net rating is is 2.5 which is um you know it, the average is that they're scoring two and a half points more than their opponents um they have had four games this season which came down to the wire. I mean, those four games being like kind of what's set the flavor has been like the spice that has come through in the dish. That is the 2022, 23 season for the Blazers so far are these late game heroics coming from people other than Damian Lillard. And like, yes, like they have had close games, but they played 12 games. They're nine and three. Yeah. Those were four of those games were very close, but I think there's a narrative a little bit early on. Well, you know, they're being buoyed by the fact that they've gotten some luck down the stretch. You could look at it that way. Uh, you could also say to your point, it's not luck down the stretch. There's something else. Call it cohesiveness, call it connectivity. Um, I'd like to talk about Damian Lillard and his leadership, which is like, I, I mean, if, if you didn't know that Damian Lillard was like one of the best leaders in the NBA before you damn well better know it now. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, this, th- this team does have something about it, which is extremely exciting. And um, we can get into some numbers and talk more about that in a second, but just, uh, I mean, look at what they've done on the road. They've had such a tough schedule, man. I mean, they have had, they've been on the road for what seems like forever, uh, don't they have the NBA's best road record at this point or something close to it? Uh, if it's not first, I want to say it's second, but, and then, you know, at this point in time last year, the Blazers didn't uh, record their fourth road win until January. Yeah. Th- they're know. the only, they're the only team in the NBA that only has one road loss. They're six and one on the road. So um, the NBA's best, uh, road record, but yeah, which is so, uh, there's so many different places to go with this. Um, and yeah. it, so go, go Here, for it. Sorry. I, I got, I got a couple of little things listed. Do you want to talk about the fact that, you know, when the schedule came out, we were all looking at it going, Oh my God, that first like month and a half, two months of the season is absolutely brutal. It doesn't lighten up until about January. If maybe hopefully they can just go 500 through that, you know, those first 20 games, maybe we'll see if they're, you know, they, they might be able to find what they need to, what they need to trade. Or you can talk about the fact that, you know, even with Damian Lillard being the best leader um, uh, that we've seen, you know, especially with this group of guys is that uh, the Blazers are three and two without him. And yes, they're nine and three, but that's uh, 12 games. They've played almost half of them without their all-star superstar point guard um you know we're starting games with justice winslow at point (laughs) right so i mean yeah there's uh, the the fact that you know jeremy grant has found his his niche his i'm gonna i think i'll steal it from danny uh uh his goldilocks zone that he's not getting asked to do too much but he's not getting asked to do too little and he has the perfect engagement amount to where he's like 
you know, he's he's the Alfred to the, you know, the Batman and Robin of Damon right. and here. So I don't know. Those are my those are my three interesting topics. Which one you want to pick on first? I think I, let's let's do talk about the schedule. I'll just say a couple quick table setting things. The last time that we recorded, I kind of fudged it a little bit because we when we recorded, they were four and one. By the time I posted, they were five and one. And so I put that in the title of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> oops. So uh, since then, they have gone four and two. Uh, losses against the Grizzlies and the Suns, completely understandable. Uh, wins against those same Suns, uh, the Heat, the Hornets, and, and then, like you said, yesterday or a couple days, yeah, yesterday against the Pelicans. Um, by the way, the Blazers have taken the season series from the Phoenix Suns because they have already played their three games against them, which, you know, That's depending nuts. on how well the Suns do that. Yeah, it's nuts. And also that might come in handy later, especially considering who was playing uh, on that game, that first game against the Suns. Anyway, um, but then to your point about the schedule, there are some things that we know about NBA teams now that we that we didn't know at the beginning of the season. We didn't know how dysfunctional the Brooklyn Nets would be. Uh, they play them in a couple games. We or actually play them a couple different times. We didn't know just how bad the Lakers would be. They've already faced them once. Uh, They're going to face uh, them again uh, at the end of the month. Check the tape. I called them trash. I said they were trash. Check the tape, and you remember that. The second worst team in the league. Okay, fine, fine. I called them trash. Okay, fine. And they're trash. So you went on that front. We didn't, we didn't know that the Timberwolves would either get this long, uh, take this long to get started and get cohesive, or that we didn't know they were just going to be this bad. It depends. You want to take like an optimistic view on them incorporating. Rudy I Gobert think, I think, in the, I think in that same Lakers take, I called the Timberwolves out too. Oh, did you really? Oh, that's funny. <laughs> uh, but on the same, on the same token, we also didn't know just how good the Utah jazz would be. The Blazers do face them a couple times in the next few weeks. Uh, we didn't know. That the Ca- yeah. We didn't know that the Cavaliers would be like one of the NBA's best teams. Um, so there are, there's some give and take, I think with the schedule as it's coming up, um, but they are ending this road trip and then they do get three games at home. Uh, their last game on the road against Dallas. And then they play at home against the Spurs, against the Nets, against the jazz. I would argue all four of those games are gettable. Um, but I mean, if you can even split those games, I think it's completely fine. They could win all four. Um, but yeah, so that's a little bit of the schedule coming up, but like, is there anything that you wanted to hit on specifically with either the schedule they've had thus far or the schedule that they're going to be facing? Well, it's funny, like just thinking of the schedule, like you just said, like, Oh, if they, you know, if they can get a split on those four, like go two and two, Meanwhile, I'm thinking back to before they went on this road trip and everybody and their brother is saying, oh, if they can just split the road trip, go three and three, that's considered a successful road trip. So if we just keep setting this benchmark of like, okay, a 50% expectation and you, they'll, you think they'll just keep stepping over it? <laughs> Fascinating. I mean, yeah, it, it's, and there's something that, um, that when you're looking at this team that you have to think about, I mean, first of all, the, the strength of schedule, I'm just looking here at basketballreference.com. Fifth hardest. Uh, What's that? I believe uh, they have the fifth toughest strength of schedule of games played so far in this season. I, I believe you, what I'm seeing says ninth, but at any rate, it's, it's up in the, in the, in the upper third, at least. Right. Um, but something that you have to think about with this team as you're watching it and as you're looking through their stats, there isn't a lot about this team that's unsustainable. 
there's not a lot about what the Blazers are doing that is just going to collapse like a souffle overbaked in the oven. Mm-hmm. We've talked about it. Like they've been missing games with Damian Lillard and with Anthony Simons. They missed games with key players like Shaden Sharp, and they have come out on top anyway. They're turning the ball over like crazy. The Blazers are very close to dead last. They're actually 29th in turnover percentage. There's stuff that they can clean up there. The the shooting is not unsustainable. Um, And like, it it makes me wonder, is it that the Blazers may have somewhere to fall or could the Blazers potentially get even better? I think they can get better because all the stuff that they're doing right isn't fluky and all the stuff that they're doing wrong is correctable. You know, it's one thing to think about like of years past when the things that they were doing wrong was playing just horrific defense. And it's really hard to say, well, if they can just correct the defense, because there's so much that goes into that. But now we're starting to look at the, you know, the flaws or some of the warts of the, of this team. And, you know, the, the big one that jumps out is turnovers. That's something that is easily correctable. You know, not like a, them just flipping a switch in their head and saying, you know what, I'll stop giving the ball to the other team. But, you know, it's kind of the more they play, the more they get that familiarity, the, you know, all that stuff. You know, turnovers should tend to go down. Um, One thing that's shocked me a little bit is they don't, for as much as they get to the line, they aren't necessarily that good right now of a free throw shooting team. And one of the biggest outliers that I've noticed with that, like I think he's still shooting in the high 80%, but Dame's free throws just seem off. And so it's like these tiny little nitpicky things outside of the turnovers, that's a big nitpicky thing. But these other tiny little issues, they're all correctable and it's a lot of it's correctable with getting in a rhythm. You know, I want to say the Blazers right now are ranked seventh uh, overall in defense, but like 17th in offense. And it's, we've never worried about their offense. So if they can keep this up on the defensive end and, you know, even sprinkle in a little bit more, there are, we might be looking at a top 10 in both categories team. I don't think any of us thought we'd be seeing that this year. That's it. That's the thing is that their offense has been by the numbers has been pretty pedestrian. Like you just said, and depending on who you ask Ryan, this blew me away. Their defensive rating is actually fifth or sixth, depending on who you ask, but they're holding opponents to 106 points per game. That's third in the league. And it was like, I knew that when Chauncey Billups came in last year, it was like, we're going to hang our hat on defense and blah, blah, blah. And then you saw it everything fall apart pretty quickly first with the vets and then with Dame getting injured. And even through the preseason, it was like, I don't see any improvement with their defense. I don't know what, I don't know what, I don't know what happened between the last preseason game and the first regular regular season game. Were they just tricking us? Like, were they just not trying and they knew they could flip that switch because this team looks like they've been playing together for a hell of a lot longer than like 10, 12 games. Right. And like, I think I mentioned it last episode, but it was Chauncey was trying to institute his stuff, but he was making it way too complicated. And so he he said he had to go back to the, not go back to the drawing board, but he really had to dumb it down and try to just get the basics with the guys and then build from there as they succeeded. So I think you may be seeing part of that is he went back to the basics of, Hey, just do this. Let's just keep it at this. Let's run this little scheme. Let's run this. And then as they work and guys can see, 
get into live action, live fire, for lack of a better term, you know, then he's able to, okay. And so this is why when I was having you do this, this is why I want you to be looking here. This is why, and he's just building that kind of stuff. That's the impression I get. Yeah. I think that that's, that's, that's a fair take on it. And I do want to also give Chauncey Billups credit. I mean, something else that he's been doing is he's sort of been weaving in the, particularly on offense, which again, the offense is kind of pedestrian, but whatever. Um, he's been letting players do what they like to do in addition to doing what he wants them to do. And I think he's been doing a really good job of balancing those two things out and keeping people engaged. I mean, look, like the only two players in the starting lineup who have any significant time playing together in that role, it's Damon Nurk. And again, as yep. with many players on this team, Dirk has had his games where he hasn't been playing. Um, and I just, I just, yeah, it's, it's shocking to me. I don't know if it's just like they have a ton of wings and that just like, now you can just magically play a lot better and things are more cohesive and I don't know things are steadier, but man, I don't know. Like, it's just, it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> the other thing that stands out to me with him is that he seems to very much coach by feel. And I'm thinking, you know, he was such a good point guard and such a good floor general that I'm wondering if his experience and the level at which he played when he was a player, like how the game slows down and how you can see the game. And you, if that has carried over more than maybe uh, people would have were thinking to give it credit for in that. I mean, like he's left some weird lineups in for some extended periods of time because he's just like, no, that group's got it. They're vibing right now. I'm going to, I'm going to roll with those vibes. They'll, they'll get us here, you know? And so I, I don't know what to attribute it that to, I mean, that's one of our big complaints about stats of years ago. And I, I hate it trying to make the, Oh, well, Stotts did this, but Chauncey's doing this. But one of our big complaints, and I think everybody had it was that Stotts was very rigid in his rotations. You could set your watch to when guys were coming in and going out. Super rigid. Yeah. And so we're, we're not I mean, seeing that with Chauncey. He's, he's doing a great job. Yeah. I have to say though, it's, it's interesting to me that again, for all the criticism that I thought was warranted that Chauncey Billups got last year, I wasn't expecting him to be as flexible as he's being. I mean, I wrote tons of times on Twitter and I, you know, I, I created an article about it that like part of Chauncey Billups wants to be a good coach is that he just simply has to be more flexible. He has to recognize who his players are and let them play. They want to play at least in part. That's exactly what he's doing. And to your point too, like, yeah, he is taking the temperature of the game and rolling with it. And it's just been working like, and so much of this too, I, I mean, we'd be remiss. We didn't talk a little bit about it would be Damian Lillard's leadership. And there's a lot of different ways to define leadership and the thing that comes to mind for me that Dame has talked about, but what you really see happening on the court more strongly than I've ever seen it is that he's allowing other people to shine. He's getting out of the way and letting other people cook. He is like tapping other people's wrists in post games for people, Jeremy Grant, Josh Hart, who get game winners. And he's like, it's Grant time. It's Hart time. Like, have you ever seen someone more joyous to see other people succeed than Damian Lillard? Like I haven't, it's, it's pretty yeah. remarkable. 
and then even more so in that trust thing, you know, there's, there's the, I don't, not necessarily reporting, but it, it's been kind of spoken about through things that I've heard locally, you know, radio and interviews and those kind of things. But like, you know, Dame sat out, they arrested him last night. He apparently wasn't necessarily happy about it, but in years past, he hasn't been able to be talked into taking those nights off because he's had that burden or had that feeling for lack of a better term, probably. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but it's just outsider's observation of that. He needed to do more to carry the team. And so besides having that trust in his guys on the court, he's having that trust in them to, you guys can go out there and win. You can get this shit done. You know, you're not going to need me to die out on that court for 82 games a year. You know, so right. that that level of trust, and you know, when when teammates see that from their leader, from their superstar player, that then fills that even more confidence up. Hey, he's got me. I got him. He's trusting me to go get this done. I'm going to go get it done for him. And it all just right. builds on itself. And you, I mean, you see that in the way Anthony Simons has been playing. I mean, the last game against the Pelicans. I mean, Anthony Simons never has lacked for confidence, but he is looking so incredibly confident in his shot and allows people. You said earlier about Jeremy Grant being kind of in the perfect situation for him. He's not overburdened, but he also has plenty to do. If he can step into that role, he looks extremely comfortable Um, talking about like letting other people shine. And again, like I'm not trying to make this just a pro Chauncey Billups podcast because man, if I talk shit about that guy quite a bit, specifically, yeah, I think we need a like, couple more pro Chauncey podcast too, to, so you can get back to a, a neutral baseline here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I, sometimes I really like being wrong and oh my God, do I look wrong about Chauncey Billups and his coaching? Cause uh, frankly, he looks like a good coach, which is great. Um, but speaking about letting other people shine, uh, Shaden Sharp, a rookie, and again, it, not to contrast always with Terry Stotts, but look, actually, just really quick, just to put the pin in this, the, we've only seen the Blazers with exactly two head coaches over the last decade. So I think it's perfectly natural that we're going to compare the current coach to the previous coach who was in his position for nine years, the second most winningest coach in franchise history. I think that comparisons to Terry Stotts are natural and I, mm-hmm. I will allow it. Um, but Shaden Sharp getting the run that he has and they did, I mean, whatever bit of news you've already heard it, but Shaden Sharp was diagnosed with a fractured finger, but he is like game to game. He can play with that. Um, actually, uh, we had Jeff Stotts, not related to Terry <laughs> at in street clothes. Who's kind of the, NBA's foremost expert on injury talking about what that fracture is. It's called a volar avulsion fracture. It's like a little cartilage piece in the joint of your finger. And sometimes if you bend it backwards, if you hyperextend your finger, a piece of it can come off. And basically the only other two players he had in his database who've ever suffered this injury are Kobe Bryant and Anthony Davis, and neither of them missed any time whatsoever. So that's good news. Yeah, but, isn't that um, the one, uh, where we saw Kobe just tape his two fingers together? I believe yeah, that was exactly. it. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. Um, so it, it's it's quite one possible. more feather in the cap for a Kobe comparison for Shaden. <laughs> my only my only kind of thing that's kind of a bummer about this, and it is it's it's Shaden Sharp's fifth finger, which I think is his pinky. It is on his right hand. That's that kind of sucks, but like, yes, he can play through it, but I just, I want to see him continue to dunk the way he's dunking. But I did want to ask you specifically about sharp and specifically about players having runway 
to shine and to progress. Is Shane Sharp the Blazers' sixth man at this point? Is that how you'd categorize him? I was leaning that way for once we realized that he was going to be getting, you know, 17 ish minutes, 20 ish minutes a night, I was leaning that way, but then Chauncey's gone about and switched up his rotations. And, you know, we've seen games where Keon Johnson's the first guy off the bench or, you know, I I think in, in the sense of the most productive bench person, yes, he is. But I, I, as far as if you want to talk like rotational first guy off the bench dedicated, like he will be the first one in. I don't know if he is. Okay. That's fair. I mean, would you, would you say is Shaden Sharp, the Blazers most important player off the bench at this point? Do you think he's earned that? Ooh, that one, I will go with a solid. No, Bob. I would think that dedicate or that label goes uh, firmly uh, to justice Winslow. He is the okay. blazer. He is to me. He is the blazer's Swiss army knife. He has been, I mean, like I, like I mentioned earlier, he's been a starting point guard for us and he's been a backup center. Like that man has run the gambit um, for this team. And he is just, you know, his, his box score isn't necessarily jumping off the page at you at all nights, but he is doing everything that this team needs at the time it needs it. So for me, he would be the most important and most impactful bench player, but that's just, that's fair. No, I think that's fair. I, I would tend to agree. Although the explosion that he provides, the vertical spacing he provides, the um, frankly, the shooting that he's been providing already so far as a rookie, as someone who didn't even play any college. I think Sharp is close to the Blazers' most important player off the bench, and I would not be shocked if he took that mantle before the end of the season. And look, I know that we both love to give credit to Mike Richmond of the Lockdown Blazers podcast on this podcast. Um, Our podcast some, is just a commercial for Mike Richmond's podcast. Yes, exactly. <laughs> At some point, David Locke has got to start paying us some money for this. But I remember exactly where I was when I was listening to part of Mike's comprehensive preseason assessment of the Portland Trailblazers. I was washing my car in my mother-in-law's driveway in Seattle. And I remember so well talking about Shaden Sharp and I was listening very intently and the gist of Mike's message was it's going to be completely okay if Shaden Sharp doesn't earn his way onto the court that doesn't mean he's not developing that doesn't mean that he's not going to be a good player nobody should panic it'll be completely okay and probably expected if Shaden Sharp doesn't play not only is Shaden Sharp playing, he's become we're, we're having a conversation, Ryan, about whether he's the most important player off their bench. And we're not laughing that idea out of the room. That's amazing. <laughs> That's incredible. I mean, seriously, like and I respect Mike and I think his analysis was completely spot on. I think what this has to do with was Shaden Sharp stepping into this role in a way that I did not anticipate. I mean, did you see this coming? I didn't. I did not know. And I mean, even, even to go to the point of like, you know, tooting Chauncey's horn for, you know, rookies getting run and him letting Shaden go, you know, <laughs> Jabari Walker's getting meaningful minutes. He's, he's getting impactful minutes in games. 
I mean, again, go back to a stops era. Uh, when was the last time you saw the 57th overall pick get meaningful minutes under, under that decade? Right. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's wild. I mean, this whole season has been wild. There are a lot of places that we could go with it. Um, since I'm running with no notes, I don't know if you have anything in front of you. Is there anywhere else you wanted to take this conversation besides us being really giddy and super excited by how good this team looks? I think so. I mean, we're, we're all shocked and surprised with how the Blazers are doing. Obviously this is a Blazers related podcast, but I think I wanted to ask (laughs) you because for me, this has been such a weird and fascinating start to the NBA season because, you know, uh, as you had mentioned earlier, you know, Lakers, you know, being like crap, you know, for me, it's pretty much the only like, top tier team that's performing up to expectations is the bucks. But what's your most surprising thing? What, what's the thing that surprises you the most so far, you know, 12 to 15 games total into the NBA season out of, out of the entire league. Oh, I think, you know what I'm going to answer. And I think, I hope it should be your answer too. We'll see. That's why I asked you first. I can adjust my answer on the fly. I'm putting you on the spot. (laughs) Um, if we're, if we're taking the Blazers out of it, and I think the Blazers would frankly be like a close second or third, the, the Blazers are definitely in the tier one of most surprising teams um, and definitely tier one most pleasantly surprising. It's the Utah Jazz. It's the, it's the 10 and three Utah Jazz. The Utah Jazz who has a 6.1 point differential. The Utah Jazz where Jordan Clarkson suddenly looks like a completely different player where um, Lori Lowry Markinen looks like a legitimate all-star player out of nowhere, where Kelly Olynyk looks completely functional, where Mike Conley seems to have found the, this, the fountain of youth. Um, and with a coach who has no experience whatsoever, has his team playing probably the exact opposite of the way that Danny Ainge wanted them to be playing. Is, he shipped off is Danny Ainge there, pulling out all his hair? whatever hair he has left Um, to me, it's the jazz and it's kind of the same way with the blazers. Although I would say the jazz more surprising, they just look like a good team. I mean, do they look like a 10 and three team moving forward? No, they're not going to end the season, whatever that would extrapolate to like, they're not going to end the season 60 and you know, um, I can't do math 16, 22. It's not going to happen, but (laughs) They like, they look really, really good. It's really fun to see. It's going to be sad when they inevitably make a trade in order to tank a little bit harder. I just can't, I cannot imagine this team leaning into this success, although they have so many assets in future years. And frankly, the chances of getting Victor Robignana are so small that maybe they do think that. So anyway, for me, it's a long answer. I'm sorry. To me, it's the Utah jazz probably followed closely by the Blazers and the Cavs for most surprising. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's hands down. It's the jazz for me. And the, one of the things that, and it ties in with the Blazers and, and their roster construction, but with how the jazz are playing and how you're seeing other teams falter uh, for me, like the jazz are the most surprising team, but the most surprising narrative for me is, is this the official end of super teams? Is is are we now fully in a proof of concept that just because you have 
three name or three all stars on your team that you're guaranteed to win. Like the Blazers are helping prove that you don't need to build a team full of all stars. The Jazz definitely are, you know. And in regards to like if they're ever gonna try to pull the plug to tank. Do they need to, or do they just need to keep a watchful eye on how Minnesota's doing? Because they have a lot of Minnesota's draft picks. So they don't necessarily need to tank for themselves. If the team that they just took all their picks from to trade one of their superstar players to does the tanking for them. If you can develop a winning culture while also knowing that you're going to get a lottery pick from another team, that's fantastic. So yeah, no, for, for, for me, it, it, it's the jazz, but it, and that's a one, a, the one B is the, is this now the official death nail of the super teams? I want to, I want to pick on that one because I don't Go think ahead. it's the death. I don't think it's the death nail for super teams whatsoever. I just, I don't buy that at all. I mean, first of all, you have to just, you know, look at the teams in the NBA I mean, how many of the teams in the NBA are qualified as either a super team or like was supposed to be a super team? I mean, we're talking about the 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 Clippers probably, right? Yep. We're talking about the Nets. Maybe yep. you throw the maybe you throw the Lakers in there. Nope, they Depending, fully count. If you would have yeah. told anybody so that, that's three years ago that yeah, yeah, if you would have so, told anybody three years ago that a team with Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis, they would have been like, "Why are they playing games? Like, just right. have the Western Conference Finals between them and the Warriors, and they can play whoever from the East." Right. No, I, I agree with that. Okay, so. Um, and then you have, would you qualify the 76ers with Embiid and Harden? I probably would. I mean, that's yeah. Daryl Morey's MO. Yeah, I'd, I'd throw them in there. Um, 76ers. Also up for consideration. Um, oh, damn it. Why? I literally just had another team on the top of my head and I completely effing blinked on it. Um, no. Okay. We'll, put, we'll keep the list. Would you, put the, would you put the Warriors in there? I think that's yes. like a, it's. Okay, I, I think their, their the, general core from their massive dynasty, in which they literally had a lineup that was called the Death Lineup, is still. <laughs> yeah, the only thing about the Warriors is like the way they're constructed is similar to how they've drafted, and to me, like super team means that you've built a team with you know just top talent who gives a shit about anything else, like trade all your draft picks, like. But whatever, like the way they're constructed is sort of like a super team. So well, they have the NBA's the, most expensive payroll. I think we can we can earmark them in there when they're paying, you know, about five hundred million dollars when all said and done. <laughs> That's fair. So they're the Yankees we, of the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> We're not even going to get into the differences between how salary caps or the non-existence of them work between baseball and the NBA because it's completely different. There's so much more parity and so much more equality between teams in the NBA. It's not even funny, but that's a show for another day of all the teams you just mentioned that we think are super teams. The one who's doing the best are the Clippers at seven and five. So I think that to, you know, it provides ammunition to your point that like kind of the concept of the super team is dead. I think where I would say is that there is a very strong, like comeback of the non super team. I don't think that's the same as super teams are dead. I still believe very strongly that talent wins out in the NBA. And I also believe pretty strongly that if you asked any NBA GM, if you said, you know, you can have Giannis and the team that he has, or you can have like, Giannis and like pick two other players and then Flotsam. I think that they'd pick Giannis and the two stars 
I just think that's how most NBA GMs work. So I don't think the super team is dead. I think it's kind of slumbering, hibernating right now. Uh, there's a lot of like confluences of weird stuff that's been happening to push some of those teams down, including Kyrie Irving being a complete fucking idiot. But really that aside, um, Hey, he met, with, I, I will he met say with silver. He's good now. Oh God. I, I will say this though. The fact that the non super teams are having such a Renaissance year bodes very well for the Portland trailblazers that have always seemed to be just a little bit off in their timing, whether it's when they had a ton of cap space in the summer of 16, but literally every other team did. Oh God. Uh, I have to be right back. Sorry. You're being recorded. Uh, I don't know what we're talking about. Uh, our cat escaped our house. It's had to cut the recording immediately and uh, couldn't find him. Went up and down the block, couldn't find him. And then Cassie had the idea to have this like vacant lot thing behind her house and tall grass. And she's like, what if he's there? And she's found him. Anyway, that was pretty stressful, man. Um, but he's in the house and he's all good. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't remember what we're talking about, but we definitely talked about the Blazers and I'm still happy about them. But uh with me saying all those words, did that jog your memory about where we were? <laughs> uh, we were talking about surprise storylines and death of super teams. I think that's, that's where we left that. off. Thank you. Um, and you were going on a rant about how I was horribly wrong. No. <laughs> not that you were wrong. I remember, I'll finish my point briefly to say that the, the Blazers have always been off with their timing a little bit, whether it's when they had cap space or just the style of play, passing Terry Stoss by a little bit, and he's discovered man and really adapt. It feels like with non-super teams flourishing this year, it is a very good time for the Blazers to have a solid non-super team. So if this trend continues, it could be the Blazers find themselves a little bit, like even beyond how well they're playing, that the dynamics of the NBA are lending themselves to potentially them doing really well this year. So that's that's a good thing. That was I agree. I agree. And I think we've reached the end of my notes. So unless there's anything else that you want to throw in there. <laughs> okay. Cat escapes blank for 10, 15 minutes. Come back and end on that. It's a great way to end. I love it. Actually, let's just really quick. Uh, let's be really explicit about what the Blazers upcoming schedule is. Um, and maybe, I don't know, prediction scene. Seem, is so Lucas happy. still on his 30 point a game streak? It was broken, I think, last game. Damn uh, it. I know. Darn. Uh, so, because the Blazers, like, you know, I'm sure this is why I brought They play the Mavericks tomorrow. Um, they then have uh, a couple days off, and they come back home to take on the Spurs, the Nets, and the Jazz. And that's all happening between tomorrow and a week from tomorrow. So, away against the Mavericks and an at home against the Spurs, the Nets, the Jazz. Let's do predictions. Ryan, what is your prediction for the Blazers during this four game stretch? During the four game stretch? Just those four games. I'll give them a three and one. Which one's going to be the loss? I think it'll be the Nets because I believe Kyrie will still be suspended by then. I think his minimum five game or whatever. I don't know if he'll have met the requirements, but I think he'll still be suspended by then. And if he is, the Kyrie-less Nets play a hell of a lot better. Turns out that if you just put four dudes and Kevin Durant on the court, that's somehow a significantly better team than Kevin Durant's Kyrie Irving and three other dudes. 
So that's what we call addition by subtraction. Um, so yes, I I want to say three and one. Um, other than that, it's I mean, in all honesty, my gut really wants to say two and two, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go join your optimistic train here and go three and one. I'm gonna say three and one. And I'm actually gonna say the loss comes tomorrow against the Mavericks. It's my guess. It's on the road. Uh, game will be back, um, but you know they have to lose sometime. Um, and I I like them against the Spurs at home. I like them against the Nets at home. And I like that Jazz Blazers game being a really interesting, tough, hard fought game. Um, what yeah. do you think the Blazers game, right? So. We're both going three and one. Uh, if they do that, that would put the Blazers at twelve and four, uh, which would be Jesus. quite a sight to behold. But in the meantime, they're nine and three, and we are stoked. And we're also stoked that you all joined us for another episode of We Like the Blazers. You can find us always at WeLikeTheBlazers.com or at LikeTheBlazers on Twitter. We're also at WeLikeTheBlazers at gmail.com. And I, Brandon, you can find me at Global PDX. That is right. You can find him at the Witty Ryan. And until next time, we appreciate you all. And go Blazers. Go Blazers. And go, Brandon, and find an AC unit. <laughs> I'm sweat. <laughs> sweat. But that's okay. It's okay to sweat. Nothing wrong with that.